Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Hello, Macquarie. Hello. Welcome to a new season in the life of our church. Um, You're not able to come to us, so we are coming to you. Uh, And we're in this together. And by being together, what I mean is we're going to try and be as far apart from each other as possible. Um, We're all social distancing here at the church today. Um, uh, Look, I've been... I've been practising social distancing for my entire life. Uh, this is really my time to shine. I'm an introverted, melancholic Gen Xer, uh, so my life's been preparation for this moment. Um, uh, out and about now, I take a broom with me, because uh, a broom handle is about 1.5 metres, so I'm completely justified to go around just prodding people and, and, and whacking them out of my way. Uh, so, yeah, it's been, it's been a great time for me, and, and I'm looking forward to the future, but thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, and let us know in the notes and the comments how we can be of service to you. Uh, also, let us know where you're watching from. Uh, if you're on the socials, if you can take some photos of yourselves gathering in your homes, in your small groups with your families, and pop them up on social media, put in hashtag Macquarie Life Online, uh, and we'll be able to see just how our church is functioning uh, in, this, in this new way of life. Uh, we might be isolated physically, but let's, let's not isolate spiritually, uh, where you can stay in fellowship and, and stay in connection. Uh, make yourself known. And this is controversial. But maybe we should start using our phones for what they were originally intended to be used for. Uh, let's talk to each other. Let's connect. Um, so, yeah, give that a go this week. Uh, you might find some real joy and benefit comes out of that. Uh, if, you are, if you've got your Bibles with you, and there should be a tab, if you're joining us online on the portal, there should be a tab with Bible on the side there. I'll get you to turn with me to John chapter 12. Uh, while you're turning there or clicking there, however you want to do that, I just want to take a moment to honour my wife, Carly, uh, we have just recently celebrated our 15-year wedding anniversary, um, and, and I can honestly, I can honestly tell you, it's it's been the best 15 years of her life. Uh, so, um, and and over those 15 years, I've realised that it's it's really the little things that help build your marriage. Uh, like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes in the morning when Carly gets out of bed, um, uh, that's it. It's brilliant. There's room to stretch out. It's it's great. Uh, listen, if we are all quarantined, if the government locks us in our houses for a fortnight uh, and I'm stuck in there with my wife and I die, uh, let me assure you it's not the virus that killed me. Um, anyway, all right, Craig, get on with it. Here we go. Uh, we are starting a, a series called The Great Comeback where we're going to look at some of the events in the life of Jesus in the lead up to Easter. Uh, this morning kicks us off. It's going to be a bit of a study style session where we look at two of the celebrations two of the parties where Jesus was the centre of attention. We're going to look at the anointing in Bethany and Palm Sunday where he enters into Jerusalem. Uh, As we go through, I'll be asking some discussion questions for you. If you're in a small group or a connect group, they'll pop up in the notes section as well so that you can take this outside of this sermon and you can have a bit of a conversation in your groups. So let's go to the scriptures. We'll look at John 12. We're going to go verse 1 to 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. Um, I love John. Uh, John is quite happy to throw Judas under the bus right here. In fact, every time in the book of John that he mentions Judas, he has a crack at him. So he's always mentioning him as a thief, he's a betrayer, he's an absolute ratbag. So those two obviously got on famously. So anyway, Judas is objecting here. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Oh, Johnny Boy's firing up again. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and and they came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Because of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Uh, So Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, and everyone's talking about it. They hadn't seen or heard anything like this before. Uh, And Lazarus, uh, Lazarus is the smoking gun. He is sitting there as evidence, as living proof, that Jesus is the Son of God. And so Mary, who is the sister of Lazarus, takes a big risk for being misunderstood and she shows her gratitude to Jesus for bringing her brother back from the dead. She smashes an alabaster jar and pours the perfume all over his feet. It got me thinking, sometimes the sweetest worship comes out of a place of brokenness. Uh, It was unusual for a host like Mary to wash a guest's feet. Um, In in Bible times, people would wear sandals, you know, they'd they'd wear havianas, and get around on dirt roads that were dusty and filthy. So so feet were pretty horrid when you walked into a guest's house. If you were a visitor, the host would have a slave wash your feet for you. But here, Mary does that herself for Jesus. Even then, wiping his feet with her hair which, to be honest, went against all Jewish social protocol uh, for a woman to even show her hair was scandalous. But to be wiping the feet of a man with it, uh, it would have been considered inappropriate. It would have been considered even an out-of-line romantic gesture by the religious elite of the time. If we look at the the perfume that she used, nard, this is stuff that's extracted from a a plant in in the Himalayas and in India. Um, Its value exceeded in the word, it exceeded 300 denarii, which was a year's wages. So if you translate that to Australian terms today, it's a bottle of perfume worth $85,000. The scholars reckon it was probably a family heirloom passed down to her from generation to generation and she smashes it and pours it over Christ's feet. The Bible also says it's a pint. So it's about 600 mils. It's about a big bottle of Coke. Uh, We're not talking a a dab or or, or a spray. There is a puddle of this stuff at the feet of Jesus. And that's why the fragrance fills the house. Uh, Symbolically, Mary may not have realised this, but symbolically, she was actually starting to follow an ancient ritual of preparing Jesus for what's about to happen to him. Uh, Nard was commonly used at the funerals of kings to embalm the body. Uh, It was also used in the Old Testament when they were anointing a priest uh, to enter the ministry. They would would anoint them with nard and and sometimes myrrh. Uh, So while what Mary is doing here seems ludicrous and and wasteful, uh, on a symbolic level, she's declaring who Jesus is. He's the king. He's a priest. He's the anointed one. 
Uh, it's a beautiful, this is from a, a scholar I was reading this week. It's a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus, the value of him as both king and priest, is matched by the worship of his followers. Uh, there are many times in the word where Jesus actually approves of extravagance, but this is one. Jesus doesn't object to this. Mary does a beautifully generous thing for him. Let's have a look at some of the critical voices. Mostly it's Judas. And the reason Judas criticises is because he's running his own maths in his head. And he is implying through objecting to this that Jesus isn't worth the expense of this perfume. But look at it through gospel economics. Uh, sometimes in God, if it doesn't make sense to a good financial planner, then maybe that's precisely the point. Um, in the divine economy, uh, we see in Luke 15, it's perfectly reasonable for a woman to tear her entire house apart to find one coin, and then when she gets it, throw on a party for all of her friends to celebrate finding that coin. It, it's in, in gospel economics, it's sensible for a shepherd to leave behind 99% of his flock, which was his income, to go and look for one in the wilderness that was lost. In gospel economics, it makes perfect sense for a father to plough ten grand into a party because his son, who was lost, the prodigal, comes home. So why shouldn't Mary blow a year's wages on basically an aromatherapy massage for the feet of Christ? Uh, Jesus didn't commend Mary for practical financial wisdom. He commended her for wasteful love. Uh, Judas realises that he's not going to profit materially or politically from the kingdom of God, so he chooses to get what he still can out of Jesus at the time. And he conspires against his master with a religious elite to sell Jesus into crucifixion. Um, from Matthew, we know the deal that Judas negotiated was for 30 silver coins. In that day, if we look at the Australian equivalent, he sold Jesus for 8,500 bucks. Uh, that's the amount of money in biblical times that you could pay to buy a servant. Eight and a half grand bought you a servant. And so Jesus sells God for the price of a servant. Just remember, Mary wasted $85,000 in worship at his feet, wow. 10 times the amount that Judas got for selling Jesus out. Mary's heart corresponded to the treasure that Jesus is and Judas' heart corresponded to the treasure that he would get out of Jesus. Um, ultimately, even Mary's gift was no match for what Jesus was about to give. He was about to give that for her, for Judas and for us. Jesus was purchased for the price of a servant and he went on to fulfil the greatest act of service by pouring out his entire life for us. And it's the extravagant and wasteful love of God that he has for us. So here's your first discussion question. Have a look in the notes, it'll come up. Uh, thinking about Mary pouring out the fragrance, thinking about Martha faithfully serving in the house and Lazarus just reclining next to Jesus, in one sense, all of them are worshipping. So what does worship look like for an Australian Christian in 2020? Uh, it's not how much or how little you have. Sacrificial worship is, is a matter of what we do with what we've got for God. Okay, let's keep moving through it. You'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. 
This is Jesus talking. And he's not saying this as a put-down. It's not in the pejorative sense against the poor. The contrast here is not between Jesus and the poor. The contrast, like they're not pitted against each other. Uh, the contrast is between always and not always. Uh, the opportunity for people to care for the poor will continue to offer itself, but the opportunity to extend profound love directly to Jesus was confined to that moment. Uh, there's another sense in what Jesus is saying here that he's entrusting the care of the poor to his followers. If you look at the city that they're meeting in, Bethany, in Hebrew, Bet Ani, Bet meaning the house, and Ani meaning the poor. They were surrounded in the house of the poor, and Jesus is commissioning his followers to care for them. Uh, he says, Soon you won't need to care for my practical needs, but you'll always need to care for the poor in a city where you're surrounded with them. Uh, Church, Macquarie, we are today on the verge of finding ourselves in the presence of many people who will have need, who will have need of our help, need of our care, need of our concern. And it's a great opportunity in dark times for us to truly be the church. So when God commissions his followers to care for the poor, that's a call for us as well. Okay, I want to move on to the second party, the second celebration. That's a triumphal entry into Jerusalem or Palm Sunday as we know it. Uh, again, if you want to click on the Bible tab, uh, we're looking at Luke 19, starting at verse 29. Uh, the triumphal entry, this turns out to be the most expensive trip ever taken. So let's have a read of the passage. Luke 19, we'll go 29 to 30. As Jesus was getting near Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead. Go to the next village. You'll find a colt, a young donkey, that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If you're asked what you're doing, say the Lord needs it. So they went off. They found everything just as Jesus had said. While they were untying the donkey, its owners asked, Why, do you need that? Why, do you, why are you doing that? And they answered, The Lord needs it. So they brought the donkey to Jesus and they laid their clothes on its back and helped Jesus on. As he rode along, the people spread clothes and palm leaves on the road in front of him. Jesus rode down the Mount of Olives. A large crowd of disciples were happy and praised God because of all the miracles they had seen. And they shouted this, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Hey, teacher, Make your disciples stop shouting. But Jesus answered, If they keep quiet, the rocks will start shouting. Now, interesting in history, at this time, when this is happening, there's actually two parades entering into Jerusalem. Uh, it was the past time of Passover. Uh, so Jerusalem had about 2 million people in its vicinity. Usually outside of Passover, there was about 40,000 people that were the population of Jerusalem at this time. So the city has, has swelled. There's a good vibe in the city. It's all happening. This is a time of celebration in terms of Passover. Um, Jesus is riding in on one side of the city, surrounded by the poor and the working class, and he is proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. At the same time, there's another parade happening on the other side of the city where the Roman imperial procession is entering Jerusalem from the east. Uh, this is where Pontius Pilate who you may have heard of. He's the governor of Judea and he's a representative of the Roman emperor at the time, Tiberius. And they are parading into Jerusalem from the east, declaring the power of the Roman Empire. So you've got kingdom on one side and empire on the other. And they are coming together. And in future weeks of this series, you'll see that tension develop. 
you'll see the clash starting to happen. Uh, Kingdom enters with the poor and the humble. Empire enters with the elite and the powerful. Um, An interesting side note about Emperor Tiberius, who Pontius Pilate was representing in Jerusalem. At the time, if you read some of the Roman writings, they inferred titles on the emperor like this. Tiberius is the son of God. Tiberius is our Lord and Saviour and Tiberius is the one who brings peace on earth. Sounds familiar? Uh, Each parade, each entry brought with it a particular way of thinking. Each parade brought in a new theology. And the clash of those develops over Easter and is developing today. Another discussion question, have a look at the notes. Where is there a clash of kingdom versus empire in your world? In your life, in your practice, uh, in your theology, where do you sit on the spectrum of peace and power? How does this influence your thoughts about God, your thoughts about Jesus and the role that he should fulfil in your life, Uh, our place in the world and how we live out our faith? Uh, Let's talk about the cult. In the ancient Middle East, leaders at the time would ride on a war horse if they were headed into battle. It had regalia, uh, it was quite a spectacle and kings would ride on war horses to declare, we are in a time of war. Um, They were a military king coming to destroy their enemies. Uh, But those very same kings out in in peacetime would ride around on a donkey. And you can read about this in 1 Kings in the Old Testament. When King Solomon was installed as the new king of Israel, he rode around on a donkey to signify to the people that he was a leader of peace. So Jesus doubles down on this peace deal. He comes in not only on a donkey, but also on a colt, which is a young donkey, a baby donkey. He brings a focus on peace and prosperity rather than on might and power. Another side note, you see a different Jesus in Revelation. You see an all-conquering king charging in on a white horse. Uh, And if we're all locked down into quarantine, can I encourage you, read Revelation. Read a couple of commentaries too, because it'll do your head in, uh, but uh, have a read of it. Uh, The symbolism of the cult, Jesus turning up on a cult, may have confused the people in Jerusalem, because they were expecting and praising a militant king coming to destroy Rome. Uh, in In other scriptures where they talk about this, it says that they shouted out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means, save us now. So it's not only a shout of praise to God, it's also a cry for help. It's a cry for military intervention by God against Rome. Now they say a week's a long time in politics and you're seeing right now in this present day, leaders are going from villain to hero in a matter of hours. It's it's somewhat similar here. The people are celebrating because finally Christ, the anticipated military king, has come to Jerusalem to deal with the oppressive Roman Empire. So they're praising him, they're celebrating him. But if you keep reading, five days later, they are shouting for his blood. They've gone from lift him up to nail him up in under a week. Uh, They didn't understand why Jesus was there in the first place. (laughs) He didn't come to conquer and kill. He came to offer himself to be killed, to become the Prince of Peace. He would exchange his life for their own. 
And when the people realized that he wasn't here in a military sense, just like Judas, they figured out Jesus is of no use to us. So when the religious leaders started saying, let's get him, they joined forces and away we go. Your last discussion question. Uh, What kind of king are you expecting? What are your expectations of Jesus? Do you need him to arrive on a cult as a prince of peace or do you need him to storm in on a war horse as an all-conquering king? And how do you process in your heart when the Jesus you need isn't the Jesus you get? (laughs) How do you trust him when he doesn't change the circumstances you find yourself in but he starts working on changing you? Perfect Jesus is being carried to the people on an imperfect and unclean donkey. If God can use a donkey to get where he needs to go, he can use me. (laughs) Uh, We'll finish off with this. The Pharisees asked Jesus to get his people to shut up. (laughs) Religion wants to seize the voice of the godly. It wants to quiet the voice of extravagant worship and put everyone back in line put everyone in their place and have compliance. But Jesus says, if you do that, the rocks will arc up. They will start shouting my praise. And when you're in the presence of Jesus, something needs to be said. Jesus is saying, if my followers play the quiet game, if they keep their mouths shut, even the rocks will cry out. Rocks aren't designed to cry out about Jesus, but we are. Um, <laughs> Uh, Sorry, this just came to me. I don't want a rock to take my role. Um, (laughs) R-O-L-E. Sorry, that's... Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, we need to to kill... Anyway. um, I was watching the NRL on Friday night uh, and it's strange because there was no crowd. There was no one shouting. There was no one yelling. It, It was incongruous. It didn't make sense. The thing that I expected wasn't there and it took away from what I was hoping to experience. Um, The truth is, in the void, where sometimes the church hasn't cried out, there are people with rocks in their head shouting out, speaking up about how the church is irrelevant, uh, about how we should be shutting up. And now more than ever, church, we need to be speaking up. (laughs) We need to be creative, we need to be speaking in love, and we need to be compelling but we need to speak up. And if any voice tells you to moderate your love for Jesus, do not listen. Make Jesus the centre of your parade. Give him the glory and the honour. It's confusing times, so think about how can we pour out our praise at this moment? How can we fill our worlds with the fragrance of worship? Like Mary and Bethany, as we draw closer to Easter... Let's be aware of the gift that Christ is to us, the gift that his presence through his spirit is to us. So let's honour him and let's pour out. Um, Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, help us as your church to be loving and to be vocal in that loving, not only toward you but to the people around us that need to know you. Help us, God, help us not to be alarmists but help us to be a voice of hope and to be the voice of assurance. God, I pray for everyone watching. I pray for everyone that they're related to, all the families. I pray your protection when necessary. I pray your healing intervention. We pray for wisdom for our leaders 
that they would hear somehow, they would hear from you about the best way to navigate through this. And I pray for all of us in Macquarie that somehow we would maintain connection, we would maintain engagement and we would maintain momentum. Open our eyes to the vulnerable. Show us how we as a church in this scattered phase can help individuals, how we can help and put legs onto our Christianity. We love you, God. We honour you as best we can. We pour out our perfume and anoint your feet. In Jesus' name. Maybe today you need him to be the Prince of Peace. Maybe today you need him to, to, to charge on into a situation as the all-conquering king. Maybe today you need to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been crying out, Hosanna, save me now. As best we can in the current circumstances, we want to facilitate that for you. We are praying for you and we want to reach out and help you. On your screen in the online portal of how this is getting to you, there should be a button there about a prayer request. We'd ask you to click on that. And if you want to give your life to Christ or if you want to come back, if you want to come back home to Jesus, fill out a prayer request. Let us know if you're comfortable to. Give us your details. We'll reach out to you. Uh, We'll pray for you where we can. We'll get some resources to you to help you on this journey. And we'll get in connection and contact with you to help you start this thing. We love you. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macquarielifechurch.com.au. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macquarielifechurch.com.au.